0: listening to the mystical city of god in a year podcast i'm father edward looney and throughout the year i'm reading and reflecting on this four volume 2500 plus page work of the venerable maria vagrida and after you listen to today's reading if you would like to discuss it with others who are reading and listening along you can do so at the mystical city of god in Year facebook page and it is a group, and there you can interact with other readers and listeners and share your own insights and reflections from the day's reading. Today is Day 40, and today we are reading from Volume 1, Book 1, Chapter 21, Paragraphs 336 to 344. On the eighth day after the birth of the Great Queen, multitudes of most beautiful angels in splendid array descended from on high, bearing an escutcheon on which the name of Mary was engraved and shown forth in great brilliancy. Appearing to the blessed mother Anne, they told her that the name of her daughter was to be Mary, which name they had brought from heaven, and which divine providence had selected and now ordained to be given to their child by Joachim and herself. The saint called for her husband and they conferred with each other about the disposition of God in regard to the name of their daughter. The more than happy father accepted the name with joy and devout affection. They decided to call their relatives and a priest, and then with much solemnity and festivity, they imposed the name of Mary on their child. The angels also celebrated this event with the most sweet and ravishing music, which, however, was heard only by the mother and her most holy daughter. Thus was the divine princess named by the Holy Trinity in heaven. On the day of her nativity and on earth after eight days this name was written in the list of other names when her mother presented herself at the temple according to the law as i will relate further on this was the birth like to which none had been before and the like of which cannot again happen in mere creatures this was the most blessed birth of which nature was capable for by it an infant came into existence, whose entrance into the world was not only free from all impurities of sin, but who was more pure and holy than the highest seraphim. The birth of Moses was celebrated on account of the beauty and handsomeness of the infant. Exodus 2 2. All his beauty was only corruptible and apparent. But oh, how beautiful is our great child! Oh, how beautiful! Canticle seven, six. She is entirely beautiful and most sweet in her delights, since she is possessed of all grace and beauty without being wanting in any. The laughter and the joy of the house of Abraham was the birth of the promised Isaac, Genesis 21.6, conceived in a sterile womb. But this joy was great only because it foreshadowed and was derived from the birth of our infant queen, toward which all this joy of Abraham was only a step. If that birth was so admirable and full of joy for the family of the patriarch, because it was a foreshadowing of the birth of the sweetest Mary, heaven and earth should rejoice at the birth of her, who gave a beginning to the restoration of heaven and the sanctification of the world. When Noah was born, his father Lamech was consoled, Genesis 5:29), because in that son God had provided a progenitor of the human race in the ark and assured a restoration of the blessings, Which the sins of men had forfeited. But this happened merely as a type of foreshadow, the birth of this child who was to be the true restoratrix, being the mystical ark which contained this new and true Noah, and which drew him down from heaven, who was to fill with benediction all the inhabitants of the earth. O blessed birth! O joyful nativity! the most pleasing to the blessed Trinity in all the ages of the past, the joy of the angels, the relief of sinners, the delight of the just, and the singular consolation of all the holy souls in limbo. O precious and rich pearl that didst come forth to the light of the sun, still enclosed within the rough shell of this world, O sublime infant who though scarcely noticed by terrestrial eyes in the material light Yet in the eyes of the highest king and his courtiers excellest all that is not God in dignity and grandeur. All generations bless thee, all the nations recognize and praise thy grace and beauty. Let the earth be made illustrious by thy birth. Let mortals be rejoiced because their mediatrix is born, who will fill up the vast emptiness of original sin. Let thy gracious condescension toward me be blessed and extolled, who am the most abject dust and ashes. If thou givest me permission, O my lady, to speak in thy presence, I will propose a doubt which occurred to me in describing the mystery of thy most admirable and holy birth, namely regarding an act of the Almighty at the hour of thy coming forth into the material light of the sun. And this is the doubt. How are we to understand thy being? raised in the body by the hands of the holy angels into the empyrean heavens, into the vision of God. For according to the teachings of the holy church and her doctors, heaven was closed, and as it were interdicted to man, until thy most holy Son should open it through his life and death, and until he himself as Redeemer-in-Chief should enter it on the day of his admirable ascension. He, being the first one for whom these eternal portals were to be opened after their being closed up by sin. Answer an instruction of the Queen of Heaven. My dearest daughter, it is true that divine justice closed heaven against mortals on account of the first sin until my most holy son should open it by satisfying most abundantly for men through his earthly life and death. It was befitting and just that this same Redeemer, who had united to himself the redeemed members and opened heaven, should, as their chief, enter before any of the children of Adam. If Adam had not sinned, it would not have been necessary to follow this course, for men would have ascended of themselves in order to enjoy the divinity in the Empyrean heavens. Having, however, foreseen the fall of man, the Most Blessed Trinity provided for the course, followed at present, This great mystery was referred to by David in the 23rd Psalm. When speaking of the spirits of heaven, he repeats twice, Lift up, ye princes, your gates, and be ye lifted up, ye eternal gates, and the king of glory shall enter in. They are here called the gates of the angels, because only for them were they open, but for mortal men they were closed. Although these heavenly courtiers were aware of the fact that the incarnate word had already thrown back the bars and bolts of guilt, and that he was now ascending, rich in glories with the spoils of death and sin, bringing with him the fruits of his passion and the accompanying host of the glorious saints released from limbo, nevertheless the holy angels give vent to their admiration and breathless suspense at this wonderful novelty, asking, "'Who is this King of Glory?' For he was a man, and of the same nature as the one who had lost for himself and for all his race the right to enter into heaven. They themselves give answer to the question, saying, The Lord who is strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord of virtues, the King of glory. This was as if they confessed their conviction, that this man, who was now coming up from the world in order to open the eternal gates, was not a mere man. And is not included under the law of sin, but that he was a true God and true man, who, strong and powerful in battle, had overcome the strong armed one, Luke eleven twenty-two, that reigned in the world, had taken away his reign, and despoiled him on his weapons. And he was the Lord of virtues, as one that had exercised them as a master, with sovereignty over them, and without any contradiction of sin and defect. As the Lord of virtues and as the Lord of glory, He now came in triumph, distributing virtues and glory to his redeemed, for whom as man he had suffered and died, and whom as God he was now raising up to the eternal and beatific vision, having broken the bars and shackles imposed by sin. Since this, O soul, was the work of my dear Son, the true God and man, he, as the Lord of virtues and graces, exalted and adored me with them for the first moment of my immaculate conception. And as, moreover, the hindrance of sin touched me not, I was free from the impediments which prevented other mortals from entering into the eternal gates of heaven. On the contrary, the powerful arm of my son acted with me as being the mistress of all virtues, as the queen of heaven, because he was to vest himself and assure unto himself human nature from my flesh and blood. He was beforehand in preparing me and making me like himself in purity and exemption from faults and in other divine gifts and privileges. As I was not a slave of sin, I exercised the virtues not as a subject, but as a mistress, without contradiction, but with sovereignty, not like the children of Adam, but like the Son of God, who was also my Son. For these reasons, the celestial spirits, who had possession of the eternal gates as their own, opened them up for me, perceiving that the Lord had created me more pure than all the most exalted spirits in heaven, and made me their queen and the mistress of all creation." Remember also, my dearest, that he who makes the law can also dispense with it freely. And this the supreme lord and legislator did with me, extending the scepter of his clemency toward me more readily than Ashursis did to Esther. For the common laws regarding others and consequent on their guilt applied not to me who was to be the mother of the author of grace, although I could not, as a mere creature, merit such blessed privileges. Yet the divine clemency and goodness of God turned toward me with full liberality, and he was pleased with the humility of his servant, in order that for all eternity the author of such prodigies might be praised. Do thou, also my daughter, according to my directions, bless and magnify him for these benefits bestowed upon me. My admonition to thee, whom in spite of thy weakness and poverty I have chosen with such generous kindness, as my disciple and companion is this, that thou strive with all thy powers and imitate me in an exercise in which I preserved during my whole life from the very first moment of my birth, omitting it on not a single day, however full of cares and labors it might have been. This exercise was the following. Every day at beginning of dawn I prostrated myself in the presence of the Most High and gave him thanks and praise for his immutable being, his infinite perfections, and for having created me out of nothing." Acknowledging myself as his creature in the work of his hands, I blessed him and adored him, giving him honor, magnificence, and divinity as the Supreme Lord and creator of myself and of all that exists. I raised up my spirit to place it into his hands, offering myself with profound humility and resignation to him, and asking him to dispose of me according to his will during that day and during all the days of my life, and to teach me to fulfill whatever would be to his greater pleasure." This I repeated many times during the external works of the day and in the internal ones. I first consulted His Majesty, asking His advice, permission, and benediction for all my actions. Be very devout toward my sweet name. I wish that thou be convinced of the great prerogatives and privileges which the Almighty concedes to it, so that I myself, when I saw them in divinity, felt most deeply obliged and solicitous to make a proper return. And whenever the name Mary occurred to my mind, which happened often, and whenever I heard myself called by that name, I was aroused to thankfulness and urged to new fervor in the service of the Lord, who gave it to me. Thou hast the same name, and I wish that in proportion it should cause the same effects in thee, and that thou imitate me faithfully by following the lesson given thee in this chapter, without failing in the least point from this day forward. And if, in thy weakness, thou shouldst fail, rouse thyself immediately, and in the presence of thy Lord and mine acknowledge thy fault, confessing it in sorrow, repeating these holy exercises over and over again with solicitous care, thou shalt find forgiveness for imperfections and grow accustomed to strive after what is highest in all virtues and most pleasing to the Lord. Then, following the light which he gives, and in pursuance of that which is most pleasing and agreeable to thy own tastes and mine, Thou shalt not be denied the grace of employing thyself entirely in listening, attending to, and obeying in all things thy spouse and Lord, who seeks in thee only what is most pure, most holy, and perfect, and a will prompt and eager to put the same into practice. This concludes our reading today for Day 40. From Book 1, Chapter 21, Paragraphs 336 to 344. One of the things we heard in our reading today was that Venerable Maria of poses a question to the Blessed Mother. She says, I have this doubt. This is what I know about the beatific vision, which we talked about yesterday, that until your son opened the kingdom of heaven, well, how could you have been granted a part of that beatific vision even before your son was born? She has this doubt. She has this question. She asks Our Lady, And then we hear the response of Our Lady. Our Lady explains it all for us. And I think that's a good lesson for us, is that sometimes in our life, we will have doubts. And I say this quite a bit often when I talk about the Eucharist. If you have a doubt in the Eucharist and Christ's true presence, we'll ask him to show you that he's really there. And so in our own life, As we continue to read, maybe as we listen to The Mystical City of God, as we read other works, we might have doubts. In fact, uh, I was just on Women of Grace on EWTN, and there was something I read one time in The Writings of a Saint, and I was still in seminary at the time. So I went to one of my professors and I said, do we really believe this? Can you help me to understand what this author means? And so I think often we're going to have that experience where we might have a question about faith. And as we have those questions, we can bring them to the Lord, maybe before the Blessed Sacrament. We can bring them to a trusted person and ask for counsel or advice. We can look for answers ourselves and find them. We can look for answers in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We can read books. We can do all this other stuff. So it's okay. That's what I'm trying to say. If you have questions, if you have doubts, that's not bad. We can find the answers just like Maria of Agreda received an answer today in our reading. Something else I took away from our reading. Mary tells Maria of Agreda about her prayer life. Every day at beginning of dawn, I prostrate myself in the presence of the Most High and gave him thanks and praise for his immutable being, his infinite perfections, for having created me out of nothing. So she's giving us kind of her spiritual life right here. This is how I prayed. I thanked God in the very beginning of the day. And then I repeated many times during the external works of the day, and I consulted his majesty, asking his advice, permission and benediction for all my actions. Take your cue from the Blessed Mother. Begin your day in adoration of the Most High. Whatever decisions you make, consult with the Lord. Lord, is this what you want me to do? That's powerful, I think. And then finally, Mary told us to uh, reverence and be cautious with her name. And so we do that. We ask and use it as a prayer, just as we honor and reverence the name of Jesus. As we say in that Our Father so many times, Hallowed be thy name. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading from the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you tuned in today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.